morning, as we're, we're continuing through our journey on the Bible, uh, we're in Romans chapter 15, and we are only going to spend one week in the book of Romans, which um, personally, I believe, is a tragedy, because there is a lot of great teaching in the book of Romans. So, to remedy that, uh, after we're done with the whole story, after we've gone through the whole Bible, uh, we're going to do a deep dive into the book of Romans. Um, and I don't know how long it's going to take us. I mean, it took us 18 months to get to the Sermon on the Mount, and there's a lot more teaching in Romans. So, 10, 12 years we'll be in Romans, and uh, that's fine, because there's some good stuff in there. Amen? All right, so, but Romans chapter 15. Now, a few years ago, uh, Time Magazine uh, wrote an article, and they, they did uh, a survey of juniors and seniors in high school to find out what their, their desires, what their goals were for the future. And this was, this was not like 20, 30 years ago. This is like two years ago. So this is very, very recent. Now, it's obviously before uh, COVID and 2020 hit because desires changed drastically then. Uh, but this was before then, but it was just a few years ago. And they asked these teenagers, these juniors and seniors in high school, they asked them to name three things, the three things that were most important to them. And the answers were, were very surprising uh, to, the artic- to the writers of the article, but also to me. Uh, 18% of juniors and seniors, teenagers, they listed achieving fame and public recognition as the most important thing to them. Now, that's, to me, that's shocking because we have our, our YouTube creator and our TikToker and our Snapchatter culture going on where, uh, where teens, where people can make a really good living and, uh, you know, just being on Facebook and being on YouTube and stuff. And it's amazing to me how some, you know, some of these 20-somethings or high teenagers are like making millions of dollars by being idiots online. I was like, I was an idiot in private for years and made no money off of it. Uh, but, you know, only 18% felt like making, uh, achieving fame or public recognition. 25% listed uh, working in a high-paying job as the most important thing that they were looking for. 27% said owning the latest technology or the nicest car uh, was the most important thing to them. 28% uh, said that owning a large home was important. And, and those were the lowest statistics in the entire study. And it was very, very surprising uh, to the people. The highest uh, answers that they, were gotten, they got were these. 77% wanted a clear purpose for their life. They wanted to know what their purpose was and have a goal to help reach that purpose. 82% wanted a marriage that lasted their entire married life, that lasted their entire life. They wanted to marry one person and stay married to them until death did them part. 82%. 84% wanted close personal friendships and relationships. 88% 88% wanted a high school, I mean, wanted a college degree. But the highest answer they received was 96% of these juniors and seniors, their greatest desire was to make a difference in the world, was to do something better with the world they had received. Now, most people, regardless of their age, we want to make a difference. We want our life to matter. We want to leave this earth better than we found it, whether it's through uh, you know, social causes or environmental causes or whether it's just through teaching and, and having relationships with people that we can leave. You know, we want to go to our funeral and have people sad we're gone. You know, we don't want our funeral to be people to be like, whew, glad he's dead. I hated that guy. You know, we don't want that. We want people to be like, oh, man, they were, they were so young. They were only 140, but they could have done so much more for, the, for, for us. And we want a life that has a purpose and to make a difference in the world. Now, we want to know, as believers, we should understand that as believers, we have 
a divine purpose. A purpose given to us from God that we are supposed to fulfill for his kingdom and for his glory. And we want to know that purpose. We want to know what it is God has for us to do. And, you know, a purpose, you know, God's given us something to do. And it'd be wonderful if someone could just tell you, like, the day you got saved, you, whether you came forward at a church or whether you talked to someone on a doorstep or just where somebody was witnessing to you or you just had questions and started talking, however it is, if the moment you got saved, someone's, you know, you accepted Christ as your Savior, they handed you an envelope and said, hey, now that you're a believer, here's what God wants you to do, and here's how he wants you to do it. Not just this is what God wants you to do, but here are the steps that God wants you to go through to achieve what he has for you to do. That'd be, that'd be great, but that doesn't happen. Now, in Romans chapter 15, Paul tells us that he discovered what God's purpose was for his life. He discovered God's calling on his life. Now, your calling is different than Paul's calling. My calling is different than Paul's calling. Because all of us have a unique calling. So I'm not going to say Paul said this was his calling and that's all of our calling. We all have to do that because that's not how it works. But Paul, he, he gives us the path that he walked down to discover what his calling was, to discover what his purpose was. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So get your Bibles. Romans chapter 15, starting in verse number 14. <coughs> Paul says here, and I myself also am persuaded for you, my brethren, that you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Now, right off the bat, this is Paul's idea of a successful ministry. Of a, this is his goal for ministry. He, his goal was to have a, a church, a group of believers who were not only being discipled, to walk with God, but they were discipling others in their walk with God. It was believers who not only could learn, but could teach others, could admonish others, could hold other people accountable and instruct each other. A group of disciple-making disciples. Look, that's why we have our Sunday school classes and our growth groups. They are not just for us to have something to do throughout the week to, you know, make sure we're checking off our marks. You are discipled better in small groups. When you come to church, and I'm, I'm, again, church is important. It's, we're commanded to go to church. We're commanded to worship God. But when you come to church, you come in, you sing a few songs, you sit down, and you listen to me for entirely too long. And I understand that. I'm trying to shorten it up this morning. But you come in, you listen, you go home. That's good. That's needed. We're hearing and learning the Word of God. And you need to do that more than just here. There's a lot of... I listen to other preachers throughout the week and other sermons throughout the week because I need to hear as well. I need to receive as well. But that's just... You receive and that's it. In our growth groups especially... We come together, and that's when you can ask questions. Now, I've had people, hadn't been happening in a while, but I've had people during a sermon or during a message try to ask me a question. You know, people who didn't, you know, I'd be preaching, somebody go, like, this is not question and answer time, this is simply monologue time. Uh, you have a question, that's what our small groups are for, that's what our growth groups are for. Because that's how we grow in our walk with God. We learn deeper. But it's more than just you come together and learn a little bit more. You are doing life with people. You're learning from people. You're encouraging each other. You're strengthening each other. You're praying for each other. You are building relationships inside the church that are going to strengthen you and help you and encourage you. And I was talking in Sunday school, and this is one of the reasons I really, really, really want some of you older believers to come to our, our growth groups and be a part because you need to learn, learn more from the Lord. Well, we all do, but a lot, 
are older believers here. Brother McCormick, how long were you married? Seventy and a half years. His, he, how many of y'all want to be married for that long? How are you going to do it? I'm shocked I made it 23. I mean, so you want to get a divorce? No, we said your death do us part. So one of us is dying to get out of this thing. And there's been times I thought, all right, it's time. Death's coming. But we, we've got, Brother uh, Lewis and Lucy, they've been married 60 years. Y'all have been married over 60 years. Danny and, and Tr Miss Imogene, how long were you and Paul brother, married? 64. I thought you said 54. I was like, oh, no, you've been married longer than that. 64. This, Reese and Brenda, they've been married for years. I mean, these, these believers who have this under their belt and have, they've gone through life and they know how to handle disagreements so disagreements don't turn into divorce and fighting and all this stuff. They've raised kids who, who you know, yeah, great. Their, their kids are out of the house now and that's a great goal. A lot of them are in church and serving God. It's like, okay, how do they do that? That's why the growth groups are so important, so that our, these young believers, and I'm using young very, very liberally with me, but younger believers who've only been married 23 years can figure out, okay, what did Brother McCormick and his wife do to make it 70? And I can learn from them and be encouraged from them and be discipled by them. And that, that happens in small groups. That's why small groups are so important. But in small groups, you can dive deeper into Scripture. You can ask questions. You can know people. You can do life together. The goal of the church is to help you grow in your walk with God so that you can begin making disciples of other people. That's, that's what made the first church so incredible and so effective. They all grew in their walk with the Lord, and they helped others do the same. But then Paul, he, he's, that's the goal of the church. But then he talks about his specific calling in this ministry. Look at verse 15. <clears throat> it says, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, uh, being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So now Paul, we all, if you've ever studied Paul at all, you know Paul was a very well-educated man. Before he became a believer, he learned under some of the, the greatest Jewish teachers of his time. And so he knew the law of God. He knew the Bible. But more than that, and after he got saved, he had the, the, the ability to teach the Word of God to people. He was a talented teacher and writer, but his calling, that was his talent, but his calling was through the Gentiles. He was the disciple sent by God to reach the Gentiles with the gospel. How many of you are 100% Jewish? Yeah, none of us. You know why you're here? Because of Paul. If it weren't for Paul, we wouldn't be here. He was the disciple sent to the Gentiles. He saw their salvation, and he says here, he goes, I am, I am commanded by God to go to the Gentiles, and to me, their salvation, when they accept Jesus as their Savior, it is making a specific offering to God. Look at verse number 17. I have therefore, whereof I may glory through Christ Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ, and those things which pertain to God, for I will not dare speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. So he goes, my ministry is in word and deed. He taught them through word, but he also lived life with them to show them an example. He preached the gospel with his mouth, but he lived the gospel with his life. Look at verse 19. 
through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about into Icrium I have fully preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul wasn't saying that all the work of the ministry was done. He's not saying, hey, look, we've done everything. The ministry is accomplished. We've achieved our goal. We're done. Great. He's just saying, I have done my part in it. I've done what God called me to do. I've done what God laid on my heart. I have fulfilled my purpose in the work of the gospel. Look at verse number 20. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. Now, there's a lot in this passage that we could, we could focus on, but I really want to look at how personal Paul viewed his calling and his part in the ministry. Look at verse 15. He goes, grace that was given to me by God for my ministry. Verse 16 he goes, my offering to God is going to be the Gentiles. Verse 17, he goes, my work for the Lord. Verse 18, what Christ has accomplished through me. Verse 19, I have fully fulfilled my ministry. Verse 20, he goes, my ambition is to take the gospel to those that have never heard. Paul was very clear about what God wanted him to do. He understood God's purpose for his life. He says, God has laid it on me to take the gospel to those who have never heard about it. His mission, his ministry was to take the word of God, to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to people that have never heard it. His, he, they had never heard the, the salvation of Jesus. And that's the same mission that, that mission, we, we obviously look at that and we think, well, you know, Paul, God's called all of us to take the gospel to where it's never been heard. But that wasn't the same mission for everybody. I mean, Peter wasn't called to go to the Gentiles, wasn't called to go to places the gospel was never spread. Peter was called to go to the Jews, specifically Jerusalem. The Jews in Jerusalem knew about Jesus. They knew his teaching. They knew his claims. They knew what happened to him. They know that he was crucified on a cross. They know the story that he died on the cross for their sins and that he rose three days later. So they knew the gospel. They had just rejected the gospel. You know, Apollos, he wasn't called to go where people hadn't heard. He was called to build on another man's foundation. In 1 Corinthians 3, it says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. See, Paul was a planter. He would go where no one had ever heard the gospel. He would preach the gospel. He would get a group of believers. He would start discipling them. But then he would move on, and someone like Apollos would come behind him and grow the church. He was a planter. Apollos was a grower. That, that was their calling. That was the purpose that God had for each of them. But look at verse number 22 <clears throat> in Romans 15. It says, for which cause I also have been much hindered from coming to you. So Paul says that his calling to go to the Gentiles. Because remember, in, in, in Romans, he's writing to you know, Roman believers. But he goes, what, what kept him from visiting these people in Rome who he'd, he'd already been there, he'd witnessed, he'd preached the gospel, he got them saved, he did it at Ephesus, he did it at Corinth, he did all these places, but he goes, you know what, what is keeping me from coming back to visit you, to check on you, to continue to teach you, is the call, is that I have a mission that I haven't yet complete. See, what Paul is saying here is he was able to say no to some opportunities because he was sure of God's calling on his life. He knew how to turn down good ideas for his life so he could focus on God's plan for his life. That's, that's something that, that I want. I want to be able to say, no, God, this is what you've called me to do. And though this other thing is a good thing, it may be even a gospel thing, it's not what you've called me to do. So though it may be good and it may be helpful and it may actually help build your kingdom, you gave me this task. So I'm going to focus on this task. I want to know clearly what God has called me to do so I am able to 
focus on that. I want to be able to say no to things that would take me off mission, that would keep me from completing the task that God has for me. And here's the thing. God has something in his kingdom, a work in his kingdom for every one of us to do. It's different. It's unique. Your calling is not my calling. My calling is not your. We all have different callings. We all have different responsibilities. But as a child of God, we all have a job that God has given us in his kingdom to fulfill something that only we can do. And God has told us what our task is. But we have to understand our purpose. So Paul, he tells, gives us two things that he did that helped him discover his purpose for life, his calling on life. Here's the first thing. He understood God's purpose in the world. See, Paul grounds the understanding of his purpose, of of Paul's purpose. He grounds his understanding of what God wants him to do in what God has declared God's purpose is in the world through Scripture. Look at verse 20 and 21 again. Yea, so I have strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, they and they that have not heard shall understand. So Paul says, it is my ambition, it is my purpose to preach the gospel to those that have never heard about it because God has said in Scripture that's his purpose in the ministry as well. Now, Paul, when he's talking about this, and he's quoting, we'll look at it later, he's quoting Ezekiel here. He says, you know, God said in the Bible that his desire was to get the word of God to those who have never heard it. And so that's what God has called me to do because the Bible says that's God's purpose in the world. But when when Paul is talking about how he knows what his ministry is, he doesn't talk about when he was saved. And if you know the story about when he was saved in Acts chapter number 9, Paul, of course, is heading down the road to Damascus. He's going to persecute believers. God comes to him, knocks him off his donkey, Blinds him, Jesus speaks to him, says, Paul, Paul, why pers- or Saul, Saul, why persecuted me? He says, who are you? I'm the Lord Jesus. And he goes, goes to Damascus and he waits for a disciple named Ananias to come and give him the gospel. Now look what happened, the Bible says in verse number nine, in Acts 9, chapter 11. <clears throat> the Lord said unto him, talking to Ananias, rise and go to Straight Street and inquire in Judah's house for someone named Saul of Tarsus. For he is praying and has seen a vision of a, and, and saying in a vision, a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so he may see again. Ananias answered said, Lord, I've heard of for many about this man, how evil, uh, how many evil things he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on his name. So God comes to Ananias and says, Ananias, I need you to go to Damascus. There's a guy there in this particular house. His name's Saul of Tarshish. He's blind. He's waiting for you to come lay hands on him, to heal him, and preach to him. And, you know, Ananias says, um, is that the same Saul that's killing believers? Because I don't really feel like going to witness to him. Because uh, he's, he's got the authority to kill me. And so I don't know if that's such a great idea. But this, this guy, he's, he's very courageous. He's faithful to God. He believes God. Uh, the Bible continues. But the Lord said unto him, go your way, for this man is a chosen vessel of mine, to bear my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the sons of Israel, for I will show you how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, that right there, because I'm sure, it's not recorded in Scripture, but I'm pretty sure, because after Saul was saved, he spent three years learning from him, I'm sure that during their conversations, Ananias said, you know what, God told me that you were the one he chose to go to the Gentiles. That's a pretty compelling argument to how do you know what God wants you to do? Well, God told me. He audibly told Ananias who told me. So, you know what? I know what God wants me to do because God told me. So that's why I'm doing it. But that's not where he starts. He doesn't start with, well, when I got saved, God told me this is what he wanted me to do. He starts with the Bible. He says, no matter what God's called me to do in Scripture, This is God's purpose for the world. 
that all would hear the gospel, that all would receive the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, there are a lot of people trying to figure out their purpose in life, their, their task in the kingdom, who have never stopped to see what God's purpose is in the world. Now, when you ask someone, you know, what do you want to do with your life? You get a lot of different responses. I'm not talking about, you know, you, you go to a five-year-old and say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because, like, I want to be an astronaut. You're like, never going to happen. I want to be there, you know. So, yeah, I'm not talking about that. But when you talk to people who get, get older, it's like, all right, what do you want to do with your life? And you maybe, maybe I want to be a great doctor. I want to be someone who, who heals people and makes people feel better and, and, you know, encourages people in their illness. Or maybe I want to be a lawyer that helps get innocent people off of death row. That's a great goal to have. I want to be a professional athlete so I can take care of my parents and everything they've done for me. I want to own my own business and maybe use that business to, to help, you know, the community and be, be a blessing to the community. I want to be a teacher. You know, I want, to, I want to help mold and shape the minds of young people. I want to be a mom and a dad and, and raise a good family. And those are, those are great goals to have, but they have nothing to do with God's agenda in the world. Now, can you use those things to achieve God's agenda? Certainly. Of course. You can use whatever you're, whatever you're doing with your life for God's agenda. But God is doing something on earth, and he's told us very clearly in Scripture what he wants us to accomplish. And our understanding of our purpose in life has to begin with that. God's will for your life is to be used by him to achieve his will in the world. And what is God's will in the world? Well, it tells us very clearly in 2 Peter 3, 9. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So what's God's goal for the, the world? That everyone receive Jesus as their Savior. Now, that's not going to happen. We know that. There are some people who are going to reject Jesus and never get saved. And that's not on us, but it is on us to make sure everyone has heard the gospel. That everyone, when they stand before God, if they rejected him or whatever they did with him, they cannot say, no one ever told me. That they know the gospel. If your life isn't part of God's great purpose, then it's a purposeless life. It's a waste of life. Even if you have done something great with your life, if you're not using it to fulfill God's purpose on earth, we're wasting our life. And Paul understood that. Paul recognized that understanding the gospel came with a responsibility to be part of spreading the gospel. Look how Paul describes the foundation of his calling in Romans 1.14. He says, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. Now, the word debtor that he uses here in, in Romans 1.14, it's a term that we use for someone who is severely in debt to someone else. But it's more than what you owe your mortgage company. It's more than, you know, I'm a debtor to the bank because I am banking payments on that car. It's, it's, it goes deeper than that. You, you have a mortgage, and you owe your bank whatever your mortgage payment still is or whatever you want. You owe them that money for your mortgage, and a rich uncle dies that you don't know about. They give you $500,000. Now, the wise thing to do would be to pay off your mortgage, right? But if you don't, if you say, you know what, I'm going to buy a fancy car, I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And you don't pay off your mortgage, but you keep making your mortgage payments. Does your mortgage company care? No. Matter of fact, they would rather you not pay it off and make the monthly payments because they get more interest that way. Your mortgage company isn't going to knock on your door and say, hey, we heard you won a lot of money, but you didn't pay off your mortgage. What's up with that? All right. You owe the mob a million dollars. Some rich uncle dies and leaves you 500000 Do you have the freedom to do whatever you want to do with that money? You can, but you're going to end up with concrete shoes. 
you have a greater responsibility to the mob because if you don't pay them, they're going to kill you than your mortgage company. Because even your mortgage company, if you don't make your payments at all, they're not going to kill you. They're going to kick you out of your house eventually. But they're not going to, you know, murder your family and kill your dog and leave a horse head in your bed. So you don't have such a great responsibility. You are not as big a debtor to Penny Mac as you would be to a loan shark. So you have a greater obligation to that. And that is how Paul feels towards the Greeks and the barbarians. Not because he was fearful of them, but because he felt obligated to them. They did nothing to deserve anything for this obligation. But Paul says, Jesus saved me. I have experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And because he did that to me, I am obligated. I am a debtor to those who have never heard to make sure they hear the gospel. Paul knew that the Greeks and barbarians were no less deserving of salvation than he was, but he had experienced the grace of God and he understood that since he had received the grace of God, he had an obligation to use his life to share that gospel with other people. Where would you be today if someone hadn't told you about Jesus? No matter how you got saved, whether it was in a church, whether it was a, a mom or dad, a friend, whatever. If someone had not told you about Jesus, where would you be? That's where millions of people are this morning. And it doesn't matter if Jesus died a thousand times if no one ever heard about it. Now, he didn't need to. He died once for all. But if he were to die a thousand times, but no one heard about it, his death is in vain. You know, the, the way they hear about it is through our efforts and our sacrifices. David Platt says this, every saved person, this side of heaven, owes the gospel to every unsaved person, this side of hell. You know, according to the Joshua Project, there are 7,000 402 unreached people groups in the world. Now, a people group, I've explained this before, a people group is a, a culture of people. Whether it's a million people or a hundred people or that, doesn't matter. It is a group of people, the same uh, race, the same culture, they are secluded, whatever. They are a group of people who have never heard the gospel. They have no gospel witness. They have no word of God in their language. They have, and so this is 7,402 groups of people who, unless something changes, have no access to the grace of Jesus Christ because they've never heard about it. Now, it breaks down further than that. Uh, that's 41% of the population, or 3.27 billion people have never heard the gospel, and unless something changes, never will. If you take the, the, the death rate in the world every day, that means that 67,198 people today will die and go to hell without ever hearing the gospel. Now, you hear stuff like that, and I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm, I went to Bible college. I've gone through seminary. I've, I've read a lot of books. I, I, you know, I think I'm fairly well-educated in Scripture, and I know this to be true. I think that sound, seems unfair to me, that 67,000 people will go into hell today, not because they openly rejected Jesus, because they never heard of him. That, that, just, that doesn't seem fair to me. How can, how can God punish people for all of eternity for never hearing about him? It, it doesn't seem you know, just to judge someone for something they never heard about. But Paul explains this earlier in the book of Romans. In Romans 1, Paul says that every person who's ever lived 
was born a sinner. We were born opposed to God and an enemy of God. Look over in Romans chapter 1. Flip back, Romans 1, we're going to start in verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Paul says, look, the judgment of God is for, for all men who are unrighteous. And he goes on later to say, hey, that's everybody. Doesn't matter if you've heard about the gospel, not heard about the gospel, heard about Jesus, not heard about Jesus. Everybody is unrighteous. Everyone is a sinner. <clears throat> because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world and are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of God, uh, the glory of the uncorruptible God, to an image uh, made like corruptible man, and to the birds, and the forfeited beast, and creeping things. So Paul says here, he goes, look, it may seem unfair, but every person who is alive in the world knows about God. Creation talks about God. The glory of God is seen in, in creation, is seen in the stars, and seen. So it's like they may not know his specific name and everything about him, and you know all the details, but they know there's a God. They know there's something better than them. And when they change that into these idol worships, that means they have rejected it. They've rejected his glory, and they've stolen it for themselves. And we are not condemned. Here's the thing. You are not condemned for not hearing about Jesus. We are condemned because we rejected the authority and the glory of God that we know in our hearts and we see in creation. The gospel is an undeserved second chance for everyone. So here's the thing. If only people that hear about the gospel that hear about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, if they're the only ones who are responsible to accept him or reject him, if someone dies never hearing about Jesus and God says, well, they never heard, so we're going to go ahead and just forgive them and let them into heaven, then why was Paul so passionate about spreading the gospel? Because if you die never hearing about Jesus and you're not, you're not under the judgment of God, then just don't tell anybody, Right? I mean, if the lost world, if they never hear about Jesus, they don't have to go to hell because they didn't hear, then don't tell them. Because then they, they die and they've never heard, so they're okay. But Paul says, look, everyone's condemned. Everyone is going to be placed under the judgment of a holy God, a just God, a righteous God, and so the burden isn't on them to find out about God. The burden is on those who have heard the gospel to get it to those who have never heard. So we're talking about last week where we're going to sit before the, the great white throne and we'll see people who we could have reached, who we could have gotten the gospel to, we didn't. We're going to see them thrown into hell for all of eternity. Now, there's a lot of debate here and a lot of conversations I've had with people where someone who is in one of these unreached people groups, if, you know, can they get saved just by knowing there's a God? And I don't know. Again, I went to Bible college, went to seminary. There's a lot I don't know. I don't know how they would have to. I, I, I don't know. So I just know God's told us to get the gospel to the world. So our purpose, no matter what your calling is, your purpose is to help achieve that goal. See, the responsibility is on those who have the gospel to get the gospel to those who don't have it. The only hope for every person in the world is hearing and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the knowledge of the gospel, the response, you know, if you have the gospel, then you have the responsibility to share it with those in the world who have never heard it. You know, there's a lot of people, a lot of us who are we're passionate about things in the world and how we can, you know, try to help make the world a better place. Uh, maybe you're passionate about, um, maybe passionate about the environment, which is good. You know, you, you want, we, we are stewards of this world. 
And so I don't think we as believers, you know, because uh, I, I firmly believe, you know, the world has enough resources to last at least a thousand seven years. See, so where do you get that? Thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, seven-year tribulation. We got enough to last a thousand seven years. We're good. I understand that, biblically speaking, but that doesn't give me the right as a steward of God's creation to just, you know, throw my trash out the window or do it, you know, leave the lights on and run water and just waste electricity and waste. I understand we have a we have a, a responsibility to this world, even though it's going to be blown up one day and God make a new one. We have a responsibility to take care of what we have now. So you're passionate about the environment. That's great. Maybe you're, you're, you're passionate about trying to uh, help get people who are trapped in sex trafficking, helping get them out of that. That's a wonderful thing. We got, I know people who are in ministries are just rescuing people who are stuck in sex trafficking. Maybe you're passionate about helping the poor, poor feeding and clothing, providing a way out of poverty for those. And that's, that's wonderful. But maybe you're passionate about battling racism in our society, making sure that everyone is treated equal as humans. And those are all great causes that need to be fought for, but they need to be fought for with the understanding that I am doing this, yes, to help people, but mostly to get the gospel to those who have never heard it. Because that's God's passion for the world. The only, the greatest need of all humanity is for people to hear the gospel. And you have a specific role in it. Now, so Paul, he said, to understand what God wanted me to do, I had to first of all understand that God had a purpose in the world. God's purpose in the world is to get the gospel to everyone. So my, my calling has to help fulfill that. If my calling isn't fulfilling that, it's not a calling, it's a desire. So because my calling has to, first of all, serve God in the world. Second thing he, he said he did is he understood God's gift in him. So how do you know what God wants you to do? Understand God's purpose in the world and then understand God's gift in you. After Paul recognized the purpose of God in the world, he learned from the Spirit of God his specific role in it. His purpose, his calling, his ministry, his ambition, his offering was given to him and developed in him as he was led by the Spirit of God. The early church was more aware of the Holy Spirit than we are. In modern evangelical Christianity, we have two different views of the Holy Spirit of God. Some of us are scared to death to talk about it because people have abused it, people have misused it, people have made it kind of crazy. So we think if I'm talking about the Spirit of God, people are going to think I'm going to start, you know, wandering around dancing, talking in tongues and spinning on my head and all kinds of stuff because there's other people who are way too into it. You know, I was driving down the road and I saw a star and that was the Spirit of God telling me to, to, to go and do this or whatever. So some people take, put too much effect on it and some of us put not enough. The early church was very aware of the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit of God shows up 59 times in the book of Acts. 36 of those times. So more than half. 36 of the times the Holy Spirit shows up. You know what he's doing? He's talking to people. Now, we, didn't, we don't know how he talked. We don't know what he said. You know, we know what he said, but we don't know how he revealed it to him. But more than half the time, when the Holy Spirit shows up in the book of Acts, he is telling people what he needs from them. He is telling people what to do. So to know our specific calling, we need to depend on the Holy Spirit of God to show it to us. Now, that sounds easy, but it's pretty hard. It's a lot more difficult than it sounds. People have been, spent years trying to figure out what God's calling is on their life and end up frustrated. Now, Rick Warren, I don't agree with a lot of stuff about Rick Warren. There's some stuff I do agree with, some stuff I don't agree with. Here's one thing I, I do like about him. He says that your shape shows your purpose. Your shape Shows your purpose. What does that mean? My shape is round. No. So here's what the shape means. We're going to put it on the screen there. Your shape. Throw it up there, uh, Josh. Shape is an acronym. Stands for spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, 
and your experiences. These are the things that God uses to show you his purpose for your life. Your spiritual gifts, these are the God-given abilities that God has given you for serving him, for building his kingdom. So, you know, teaching is a spiritual gift. Serving is a spiritual gift. Encouraging is a spiritual gift. So some of you, you're, you're great encouragers. You know, you, you, people talk to you, I talk to you and I feel better. There are some of you, that's not your gift. I talk to you and I don't feel better, I feel worse. But some of you are great encouragers. I talk to you and you just, you, I got a uh, Larry, uh, Larry Henderson, y'all know Larry Henderson? He was here when I was on vacation preaching for us. I love Larry Henderson because he is such an encourager. I will call him about anything. And I, I could, I, I literally, I could call Larry Henderson and say, Larry, I snapped and killed 14 people. He'd say, you are such a wonderful man. I'm sure they deserved it. They had it coming. I'm being sarcastic, but he is, he, I call him when I'm, when I'm down, when I'm discouraged, when I'm battling something. And he just, he makes, he just talks about how great I am. He makes me feel good. That's why I love talking to him. If I ever feel down, I feel bad. What I'm going to do, I'm going to call Larry. And just say, hey, Larry, hey, Pastor Sean, how you doing, man? God loves you. You're doing such great work up there, and you're so awesome, and you're incredible. And so he's an encourager, so I like talking to him. So encouraging is a spiritual gift. Uh, serving, giving, leading, showing mercy are all spiritual gifts. So these are gifts that God has given you specifically to use as kingdom. Now, we're not going to get into it, but there's a lot of spiritual gifts tests you can take to figure out what your spiritual gift is. But the next thing, heart. Heart is your desires, it's your hopes, it's your interests, it's your ambitions, it's your dreams, it's your affections, what you love and you want to be a part of. So if you feel like, man, I really want to help with, you know, refugees, or I really want to help with people in, in human trafficking, or I really want to help, you know, this group of people, that's your heart. God gave you that desire. It's a God-given desire to, yeah, help those people, encourage those people, but also use that to reach them with the gospel. So if you're passionate about rescuing victims of self-trafficking, God may have given that to you to help point you to your calling. Then he says your, your abilities. These are the natural talents that God has called you to. God doesn't call you to do something that you aren't able to do. So if you couldn't, you know, if you couldn't carry a tune in a bucket, maybe God didn't call you to sing. If you like to, great. But if you, if you have trouble speaking in front of crowds, God probably didn't call you to preach. You know, if you can't play, an, if you can't even play the radio, God didn't call you to play the piano. Now you can learn it, you can do it, that's great. But these natural abilities that God has given you, God gives them to you for a purpose. And then he, the P is your personality. Personality affects how and where you use your spiritual gifts and abilities. Maybe you're a great teacher, but not a great speaker. Like I can teach a small group, I can teach one-on-one, -on -one, but I can't stand before people and talk to them. I can't preach in front of people. <clears throat> That's your personality. Then your experiences, these teach you lessons that you, that as you mature, you can use these lessons, use these experiences to minister to other people going through similar situations. That's where some of the, the older Christians, some of you senior saints, you're not old, you're seasoned. You seasoned saints, you're, you know, you've been married 60 plus years. You've got some experience under your belt that, you know, these other people who've been married, you know, 5, 10, 15 years, they, they need to get, you know, great. They're doing good right now, like me and April, 23 years. We're doing okay, I believe. We're doing great. I'm just kidding. We're doing great. We've never gone through the empty nest part of life. Now, honest with you, I am looking forward to that like you would not believe. When Lexi gets out of the house, we are moving and not giving a forwarding address to them. You know, I'm looking forward to it. But when the day comes, I may have some anxiety. I'm like, oh, I don't know how to deal with this. Y'all have gone, y'all have experienced that. You've experienced the loss of a spouse or a loss of a loved one or getting, helping get through. You've experienced these things and God gave these, those experiences to help people who are coming behind you who may not know what to do. Your experiences help you understand your purpose for God. 
So you, don't, you won't know what your specific role in a mission is until you understand the way God has shaped you to be used in his mission. The church has one mission. The church as a whole has one mission, and that is to get the gospel to those who have never heard. You, as a child of God, have a responsibility to serve the church to fulfill that mission, to practice your spiritual gifts, to be in discipling relationships. And look, one of the best ways to find your spiritual gift is to do life with other people and help them help identify your spiritual gift. There's a lot of you, I, I know what your spiritual gift is because I've spent time with you, I've talked with you. Kelly's spiritual gift is annoyance. Uh, her, actually, hospitality and encouraging. She, she does get on my nerves, but she's very encouraging. Uh, you know, other of you, your spiritual gift is serving. I'm not going to get mad because God, God has showed me as I've walked with you and talked with you and ministered to you that God showed me, hey, their spiritual gift is serving. I'm not getting mad that you're not teaching a class or preaching in, the, in the, you know, the church every other week because that's not your gift. The best way to find out your spiritual gift is to get involved in, in ministry, get involved in small groups so people can say, hey, this is, you're really good at this. You're really good at encouraging me. You're really good at, at serving. Man, you're so generous. That's a spiritual gift. Generosity is a spiritual gift. So the best way is to, to, to help serve in the church to find that spiritual gift. And whatever you're good at, do it all to the glory of God and do it strategically for the mission of God. See, God has a mission and he has a place for you in his mission. It's our responsibility to find it and use it for his glory. You have a job in the church. You know, I have a job in the church. They, they look different, but they're just as important. They show up differently, but they're just as important. Your job has the purpose of fulfilling God's purposes on earth, shedding the light of the gospel to the entire world. We, as children of God, have a responsibility to find our purpose, find our job, and do it all for God's glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.